Hey guys, it's Justin Ledford and welcome to the Real Construction Owners Podcast. Today we're going to be discussing how solar is the new gold mine for government construction contracting with Joe Loud. Whether you want to win $100,000 contracts every month for your construction company or you want to win $3 million government construction contracts, the course that I've created for you will give you the exact blueprint that you need to succeed as a government contractor. It's a self-paced university so you can complete all of it in the comfort of your home. It includes 33 lectures, a 30-day challenge for you to win a minimum of $200,000 in contracts for your company, and a comprehensive digital manual, as well as exclusive access to a private online university. If you're interested, I'll leave a link in the comments below. We'd love to have you join us. Now, let's go ahead and begin and dive into how solar is the new gold mine in government construction contracts with Joe Loud. Welcome to the Real Construction Owners Podcast, where we interview real construction owners and the services that are helping us succeed at a high level. Today, we have a very special guest, Joe Loud, the Senior Vice President Worldwide of CERP, Solar Integrated Renewables Corporation. And we're going to be talking some high-level things to debate today about government contracts, solar, dealing with large complexes, storage facilities, commercial biz businesses, and how you as a contractor can make large commissions to be the middleman. So stay tuned. What's up, Joe? How are you doing today? I'm fantastic, Justin. How are you? And I'm doing amazing. Thanks for asking. Just out here in the jungles of Central America, trying to find good Wi-Fi. Living the dream, right? To go and do what you want, when you want. And you know, I started this so I can connect contractors and help them make more profits by implementing solar and also teach them how to win government contracts and Whenever I heard that you would get on my show, I was like, oh my God, this is going to be epic. But before we go into the goods, I want to ask you, what's your story? You know, how'd you get into solar? How'd you get the position that you're in today? Well, it's, uh, I'll give you the, the quick version, um, but it's been an exciting ride. Um, my background really is in, in traditional finance and, and real estate. Um, I spent a lot of years in the mortgage industry um, and then in commercial finance um, and capital markets. My passion became finding ways to structure deals that would result in long-term residual income, right? Because I went from being somebody who really got a charge out of, you know, the the monthly uh, hunt, right, to go after those big commission checks, uh, to having a family and and needing to think more about, you know, long-term security and uh, you know, owning and operating income properties um, is what the highest net worth people that I ever came in contact with were doing. And so I got involved in the structured financing side of commercial income properties. I worked with a company just north of Boston here for quite a while that was managing money for a whole bunch of high net worth family offices and uh, the largest pension fund in the United States. And our job was to find um, long-term income producing real estate assets um, across all verticals to plug their funds into, right? Because these become long-term annuities and, you know, there's there's value-add opportunities along the way. And one day, some people came to me with some commercial solar projects, which on paper looked better, you know, just from a, a dollars and cents perspective than any of my commercial real estate assets um, that I was looking at. And and I 
was a little confused about the the technical jargon, and this has gone back, you know, seven years, right? So um, I, I wanted to find out if this was what it looked like it was, which which to me, if it was, it would be amazing because if you could take and build infrastructure projects on existing income properties and have yourself another income property, I thought, wow, talk about, you know, a blue ocean. So went to a friend of mine um, who owns a um, electrical contracting company and, you know, asked him about it. I said, hey, is this solar thing real? And uh, I'll never forget, he was playing golf with me and my pastor, you know, real straight laced guy, Naval Academy guy gets off the tee box and looks at me and goes, oh, it's effing real. I'm like, whoa. And he didn't say effing. He used the real word. So I looked over at my pastor. I'm like, are we okay? He's like, hey, you know, he said it's real. And so he's like, you got to meet my business partner. So he introduced me to his business partner (laughs) who happened to be this guy named Brian Kuhn who if you ever get a chance to interview him, oh my goodness, he is the true believer in renewables, if there ever was one. I call him like the Yoda of renewables. He started out in the wind industry in the late 1970s, where he was part of- Wow. Yeah, he was part of a project that built a wind turbine, the first monopole computer-controlled wind turbine at UMass. And right now, today, that first project that he worked on is on its way to the Smithsonian Institute in Washington, D.C. And here I've got this resource who, you know, he's been in- the wind industry all over the world um, got involved in solar when it was only solar water heaters, right? He was the national director of solar water heaters for Ream water heaters. And I, I was at lunch with him and I said, Brian, if I lay out a the numbers on a commercial solar project, the way I understand it, into one of my apartment building or shopping plaza pro formas for 25 years, it looks like an apartment building just that doesn't have any tenants. Am I missing something? And this guy gets up into the middle of a Chinese restaurant, slams his hand on the table, and he's like, that's exactly what this is. I've been waiting for somebody to understand that. You know, can you come in on Wednesday? I'm like, for what? He goes, I, I want somebody to help me grow my company and, and you know, help me leave a legacy because I feel like the financing around these projects is finally going to catch up to where it needs to be for us to blow this thing out. It's it's going to be everywhere. And he got me excited. So. I went and looked and, and, you know, seven years later, here I am. Um, now I'm still an owner of Associated Energy Developers with Brian. It's a boutique, you know, sort of bespoke professional services company in the renewables energy industry. And it's called Associated because we associate with all kinds of different companies to help them grow or, you know, to add technical expertise as we go. And one of those companies that, that I came across through that process was Solar Integrated Roofing Corporation at the time, which is actually going to be uh, soon called Solar Integrated Renewables Corporation. Um, and they told me that their vision was to uh, offer the complete um, alternative energy solutions worldwide. Um, and they had been acquiring all sorts of smaller companies over the course of a couple of years. And we got to know each other through the lens of, hey, maybe AED can help CERC grow. But then they asked me to come on board and actually become part of the company. And I got to tell you, I've never been more excited because it seems like CERC is that missing piece to help us go from being a small company um, where we're working in the business to someday being able to take all these things that we've learned, put them into processes and blow it out, you know, to the nationwide and worldwide level that that I've always dreamed of. I love that. And, you know, the reason we got connected is because I work with a lot of large investors who have apartments and storage facilities and big roofs. And 
like the one behind me? Yeah. Have you ever considered, you know, solar? And they're like, they're like, yeah, I, I would like to know more. So talk to our audience who is in roofing and construction and why should they be looking into having a channeling partner or AKA a partner who can close their solar deals for them? Like what can it do to their bottom line? Well, if you look at, there's so many, there's so many answers to that. And I'm going to try to hit the top few. Um, first and foremost, if you look at commercial property, the value of the property is based on the income approach to valuation, right? So if you add to the net operating income, either by lowering expenses or adding more lease revenue, right? More income, then the value of the property goes up. It's not a matter of, oh, did the Joneses sell their house for more than mine or did, did, did this one? No, it's, it's all about what is the net operating income of the property? And so if you add an, another income generating property on top of your existing income generation property and it's cash flow positive, then you know right out of the gate that it's going to add value to your property, right? That's if you own the system. In another instance, you could have a company like ours, which is also set up to be an independent power producer, own and operate the system for you and just give you a discount on your electricity or if you're not occupying the property, pay you rent for your roof, like we are with this building behind me. This was a indoor soccer place. Now it's an indoor storage facility. And this system, you know, generates a good bit of revenue for the property owner, right? And no cost in that case. He didn't have to invest money in the project, but he's getting some of the upside. Or he could have bought owned and operated the project with our help and he'd just be getting more of the upside. In, in either event, um, these projects can most often be built with you know, them being cash flow positive right out of the gate. Uh, between the value of tax incentives that exist, which just got extended for another at least 10 years, uh, which is really important, um, and the, the fact that you can get third-party financing for the rest, you know, you can in some cases get paid if you've got enough of a tax appetite and you get the right kind of financing for the system to step into um, another income stream. I love that. You know, it's wise people use other people's money and they follow the money. And if you look at the government, they're, they're giving rebates on people putting solar on their property. If you look at, um, if you look at anybody who's successful in real estate and they understand leverage and the value of using other people's money. And you right. just said something. These owners of these buildings, it's sometimes no cost to them and they're still an upside and, yep. or they can purchase it and they get a bigger upside. Is that correct? That's correct. And, and I always, and I train my people to always start with the mindset that the property owner themselves, if they're already an income property owner should, if they can, uh, own the energy infrastructure that we're going to build, right? We, we start there and we explain that. You know, if there's if there's a way for us to help you get this financed, if there's a way for us to go left pocket, right pocket with money that you are already planning on giving, for example, to pay your taxes with, that we can now turn around and use as a down payment, because the system that we're building with that is going to generate more in the way of cash value of tax incentives than you were going to put up in terms of cash, and because of the way that commercial financing works, we end up in a cash flow positive position from day one meaning the bank's not going to lend you more than what the revenue 
from the system is going to be able to pay off and then some with a buffer, right? If we're able to do that with the property owner, we feel like we're being a good partner. We can be the developer for hire. We can, we can oversee the entire installation. We can stay on for operations and maintenance long-term and monitor the system and stuff. So they don't have to worry about becoming an expert in this space. Um, but if for any reason they don't want to, or can't really use the tax incentives, um, we're so confident in what we recommended in stage one, which is if you can, you should buy it, that our fallback position is a pretty good one that says, hey, if you don't want to buy it, can we? Because we think it's such a great deal that if you don't buy it, we'd like to. And then we'll take some of the upside that you would have seen as the owner, and we'll give it to you as the site host to basically create a joint venture between us as the investor, you as the property owner, and sharing the upside together. <laughs> Sounds like a, a win-win, kind of like a no-brainer. Well, it is. And, and you know, thank you for saying it because it sounds salesy when it comes out of my mouth. I just can't help it. It's it's almost like, you know, trying to look cool drinking out of a straw. It's impossible. I don't know if you've ever tried. But right. trying to not sound salesy, saying it's a win-win and all that stuff. But here's why. I want everybody to really remember this. It's sunny today where you are. It is where I am too, Right. In just the time that we're going to be on this podcast, let's just say one hour, maybe less, but let's just say in one hour on a sunny day, the earth is irradiated with enough energy from the sun to completely supply the entire global consumption of electricity for over a year. So I'll say that again, in one hour on a sunny day, wow. we are irradiated with enough energy from the sun, which God gave us. We didn't have to. I didn't have to do anything for it. It was here when I when I arrived. Hopefully it'll be Free here when I leave, right? So we're 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 irradiated with enough energy from the sun in one hour to supply the entire global consumption for electricity for over a year. And so really the reason why we're able to create true win-wins is because we're starting with new money. New money that has not been in the economy before, right? We're giving birth to new dollars by catching them instead of letting them fall on the ground. So when I was explaining this to my dad for the first time, he's not like a technical guy, but he understands common sense. And really, you know, he's very street smart. I said, hey, you know, what if I called it a money net instead of a solar panel? Would you understand it better then? He goes, yep, absolutely, I would. And so I, right behind me, that's not a solar system. That's a big old money net. Because if we're not catching the energy as it's falling from the sun, it's just hitting the ground and nobody's getting anything for it. So... The fact that we don't have solar panels everywhere right now that they can fit, right, is a bit of a travesty, especially when you look around at the geopolitical environment and say, wow, we're fighting over energy, but we have plenty of energy. We just need to catch it. The problem in the past has been you can catch it, but then what do you do with it? It's hard to store it. But now we're coming up with all kinds of really cool ways to be able to do that as well, because you can turn solar into fuel right? Hydrogen fuel, anhydrous ammonia. That's also a fertilizer. We can take the solar energy and turn it into food with indoor farming. I've even got friends that are putting together, and this is an idea I had from 2017 that nobody would invest in, by the way, which kind of annoyed me at the time, but um, they're taking Bitcoin mining operations and they're putting them in Connex boxes, right? So theoretically, we could go anywhere that there's an inter internet connection. And thanks, Elon. You know, that's pretty, pretty soon that'll be everywhere too and turn electricity directly into cash, right? At the site of production. 
And so with all these different things that we can do with solar now, um, we see ourselves as a company and I see myself as a, as an entrepreneur right at the perfect place at the perfect time, really for the first time in my career, you know, to be right, you know, positioned for growth and positioned for massive scale, right as the industry's catching up to all these great ideas that have existed for quite a while. So if I have an investor listening who has an apartment complex, a storage facility, what would you tell that specific investor why they should consider allowing us to prepare a, an energy analysis for them? Well, I mean, I would assume that they like money, right? And my, um, my advice to them would be, you know, you're losing money by not doing this. Every, every, every minute that goes by, by not having your own energy infrastructure, your own money nets, you know, wherever you can put them is a lost opportunity cost, right? That we can actually, we can actually measure, um, in a lot of places where there are incentives for green energy, those incentive programs are designed to step down over time. Right. And so another thing that I've, that I've often said to people is, Hey, don't wait around for the incentives to get better in renewable energy. At some point, the incentives are designed to tail off because at some point it just becomes so obvious and the cost of the actual equipment goes so low. And comparatively speaking, the cost of doing nothing continues to skyrocket that it's not going to take 50% of all of the commercial property owners in the country or the world to make this shift for everybody to realize, oh, it's a good idea and, and just, just do it. I think that that, you know, that tipping point might only be five, seven, 10% adoption rate because people are smart. Investors are really smart. You know, if you can own energy infrastructure based on the cost of capital that it takes to build it, right, and eventually pay it off, then you own it. Well, if the cost of ownership of that energy infrastructure is equal to or less than what you're already paying for electricity, then it's stupid not to start paying that down. Your electric bill with the legacy utility company can never be paid off, right? So the the value proposition is, you know, the same one that we that we have when we talk to people about buying a home versus renting a home. Now imagine if the rent is greater than the mortgage. Well, only an idiot would do that unless they couldn't qualify for the mortgage. If they can qualify for the mortgage, then you should own your your house. Same thing here. If you can qualify for financing or if you can utilize all the incentives or if you can work with a good company as a as a co-development partner or a or a joint venture partner to own and operate the system, eventually it's going to get paid off. And now you're looking at energy as an asset. We talk about energy as a service, which is what we do when we own the systems. And it's really a contingent asset um, that you can see benefit from right away. Yeah, I love that. So with that being said, a lot of times you can, like if they're paying two, three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000 a month, for all the electricity bills and their their facility, they can, and they're just, and it's going to keep going up that two, three, four, five thousand dollars. It's never going to go down. They can just allocate that money towards something they can actually own. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it, it's it's allocating that money that you would otherwise be paying to rent the utility company's infrastructure, 
to pay financing costs to pay down the infrastructure that you own, right? So you're essentially becoming a utility company at your own property. And, and that increases their their value of their property too, right? Right. So so any savings that you're enjoying during that period of time that you're paying it off is going to increase your property value, right? But that savings is going to go up once you have your financing paid off substantially. You're just going to have your incremental fixed costs of operations and maintenance, insurance and things like that. But that's very negligible as compared to, you know, what your financing costs are during the repayment period. What we often find, though, is that we can come up with ways, um, again, using today's technology, and it's just going to continue to get better, um, to bring the utility company to the site of consumption, right? Well, my goal, really, and our goal as a company is to be one of the largest distributed generation utility companies in the world. And what that means is that we oftentimes think about landing and starting with the, the thing that people are most familiar with, let's say solar. But then from there, you usually run out of roof space or parking lot space at the given property before you've been able to build enough of a solar system to offset the entire bill, right? And then there's these pesky things for commercial customers called demand charges. Demand charges are the biggest racket in the utility industry, and it's the way that the monopoly utility companies are able to charge and increase their rates without getting legislative approval. Demand charges say, hey, for any 15-minute period, in most cases, in some utilities, it's, it's any half hour, hour, but just say for any about 15 minute to an hour period during the entire month where your usage was the highest, where you spiked your usage, right? The utility companies are charging commercial clients to have that amount of power on standby for the entire month. So they're saying, well, since you use that much one time, we don't know if you're going to need to use that all the time, even though they do know that because they can see the patterns over time, right? Down to the nth degree. That's how they plan. That's how they engineer these, uh, their grid. But they charge the customer for having all that on standby. So we look at ultimately becoming the utility company on site where we bring in solar and other technologies like linear generators, which we're pretty excited about, um, that run on flexible fuel sources. Someday we'll, we'll provide all the fuel from other renewables that are being built off-grid to generate hydrogen fuel and fuels of the future. Um, but to ultimately have a system that generates all of the electricity that's needed at the set of consumption, like you have your own power plant there. Now, when you look at that bill to pay off that infrastructure, if the financing costs for that, after you take into consideration all the value of the tax incentives and green attributes, if all of that ends up being less than what you're otherwise paying to the electric company, it's a no-brainer. You have to do it. And now the whole subject of resiliency has been coming up a lot. Right. That that was something that was, oh, by the way, and you know, when a storm comes, you're you're gonna be the only ones that are up. But now there's there's stuff in, in the news, you know, in, in a lot of places where they're like, Hey, we're not sure, you might have blackouts. You know, in the United States. Now I kinda of understand if you're like on an island somewhere, right? Maybe you expect some of that. But what if you're running a big operation in California somewhere? You know, what if you have a sporting event going on, for example, with 20,000 fans in the stands and the lights go out. What happens then? How much do you lose in food and beverage? What kind of a safety issue is that? What does it do if you're a grocery store? You know, a lot of grocery stores don't even have backup generation. So what we're looking at is is just this perfect storm, really, of factors that are, that are driving this decision-making process to one place. Own your own utility system at your site. 
besides people like myself who bring y'all opportunities to close and the, the contractors within my network that bring us opportunities, what are other, what is y'all's process for uh, acquiring new clients? Do y'all have an outbound sales force? Because, uh, you know, I'm just curious about your process on how you're generating new business. Yeah, so we have a a um, a company that's actually a family of companies, and and our culture really is is built around that word family because, um, you know, at the end of the day, that's what we're all here for. We really want to provide for our families. We want to give them a better life. Um, there's a there's a lot of companies that were acquired by Cirque over the last few years, and you know they have been in their own right very successful in in the construction industry the roofing industry um and so they brought with them um in some cases pretty giant books of of past client relationships and existing client relationships who are really interested in uh, in getting in this business and then you know their networks really of people that they've worked with and contractors they work with um honestly because of all that and the referrals that we receive from customers who we do work with and because one client sometimes turns into 20 locations. Um, honestly, I've just never seen a more referral rich business than this one. Um, so we're really, we're really doing it through a uh, referral based network, networking and marketing, you know, through um, existing and, and previous clients. And, and then we've opened it up to some key channel partners in the industry that are allowed to take their referrals and put them right into our platform as if they're part of our inside sales force. And that's why we're doing this interview today. Contractors, if you're listening and you want an opportunity to benefit from this, that's they're a channeling partner of mine. And whenever you have an opportunity with a large roof, we can connect you to them and you can make a nice little override on that. So Let's talk, let's change it up a little bit. Let's talk about government contracts. That's something that I'm passionate about. And you were talking about Lenco and how they got a $5 billion contract. Well, and let me, let me clarify. They were one of 16 companies that were selected for the $5 billion contract. Um, okay. it would have been really cool if they got the whole thing, but, um, no, there was a whole, there was a whole big process that, that, you know, our wholly owned subsidiary Plumco, uh, went through. To be selected the the ceo of plumco who is cirque's executive vice president uh brad reinhardt um he is a uh, west point grad um served our country and understands um how to really communicate well with the uh the government sector um he's had a lot of success in his career of putting together proposals that really tick all the right boxes and, and, you know, get the value proposition across the way that it needs to be in an organized fashion. Um, and he's just great. Him and his team are great at, at following through and following up on opportunities as they occur. Um, just like, you know, in the private sector, but maybe in some ways, even more so in the government sector, once you've proven yourself to be, you know, good at, uh, doing what you said you were going to do, um, you know, there, there doesn't seem to be any shortage of opportunities. Um, and then at the same time, um, my legacy company associated energy developers maintains its, its cage code. And, you know, we've built wind turbines and we maintain and service wind turbines for 
you know, government contracts, you know, across the country, schools, military bases, um, locations we're not allowed to talk about, things like that. I love that. One, my first government contract actually was a solar decatch and reset off of a flat roof. And then we built a, uh, like a shade structure and we used the solar panels as the actual shade structure. Smart. And, uh, and it was a design build. We had to use existing stuff, come up with our own design build. 115, it was a small contract, 115, but we got it done for like 40 ish thousand in about a week's time. And it was an, a great profit and a great experience to serve our nation yeah. and serve the government. Now that's cool that you actually, your company, Associated Energy Developer, developer or development? Developers. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. Y'all got contracts too. I didn't, I didn't know that. So yeah. I am curious, are y'all all in-house? Do you perform the work in-house or do you find your own subcontractors to sub out those government contracts? So for the for the wind industry, we do it in-house. We we have some uh, wind technicians that are part of the staff um, at AED. And Plemco has um, a team of engineers um, and installers that self-perform the EV charging uh, installations. Um, when we get into big solar systems and things like that, and, and really when we get into building wind turbines, we're always partnering with uh, local contractors and EPCs that you know we find to be very capable at what they do. Uh, but ultimately our companies oversee those activities and ultimately you know continue to take responsibility for the outcomes. Yeah, as the prime contractor, it's your yeah. it's your baby. But you you guys got to you know find the best team to get it done. That's right. One of the things that we like to sh say in government contracts: as long as you do an amazing job and you do what you say you're going to do, you can be the middleman. As long as you have the right team who gets it done. Are you the one making the calls to the sub, or do you have like a estimating department? Well, we actually have um, another one of the the incredible resources. You see. When I, when I say a culture is like a family, um, I grew up in a family with my dad had three brothers and one sister, all of whom um, were captains. My, 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 uh, my grandfather would, would always brag that they were all captains of their teams, of their respective sports. And there was this like level of camaraderie and respect anytime we'd have a family party. Um, it's a lot like that at Cirque because you have a collection of companies that were acquired who were successful enough to make the parent company want to acquire them, right? So they were doing something right. And now you've got the leaders of those companies who were the, you know, kings of their own fiefdoms now that are division leaders within Cirque. And we're all able to now come around the table. Um, and it's pretty amazing. There's just this this feeling of of mutual respect and admiration with one another because everybody's an expert at their particular aspect of the business. Um, and, and there's a, there's a gentleman named Bob Zarbo, um, who is our senior vice president of engineering project management and construction, who has 40 years under his belt, um, building power plants literally all around the world. And him and his wife were actually, uh, with one of the largest, um, you know, power infrastructure companies in the world. And, you know, to have a guy like that who has worked on everything from nuclear power plants down to the um, down to the smallest solar system, um, everything in between, including that one with the 
that you go by in the desert with the three towers with all the mirrors that aim the sun in, into the center. He he and his wife positioned all of those mirrors. Like they built that installation. And so we have this incredible, you know, um, salt of the earth type of, of experienced hand at doing our, our estimating and at doing our outreach and, and partnering with the subs that we're going to work with and, and ultimately managing those power plants to be built. Um, I don't know how long he's going to, he's going to keep working, but man, I hope it's years to come. Um, and, and we're, we're, we're trying to learn everything we can, uh, from him every single day. He's a great guy. That's amazing, man. I would love to interview Brad, Brian Hart, Brian Cohn. Yeah. Brad, Bob. Brad Reinhart, Brad Reinhart, Brian Kuhn, Bob Zarbo. Zarbo. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and from a sales because perspective. Because you understand, you understand the importance of connections and building a nationwide database of quality uh, integrators or subcontractors. And it sounds like you guys got that down pat. Yeah. And, and the one that kind of keeps it all organized for us, our chief operations officer at CERC, um, Troy Clymer, he is the um, CEO and founder of Balanced Planes, which is another um, wholly owned subsidiary of CERC that was acquired. Uh, Balance does the, uh, you know, the back office uh, claims support. And I use Balance Claims for like five years. They're an yeah. incredible supplementing firm. So Balance was acquired by Sir, right? And the leader of that company, the founder of that company is now our COO. So when you talk about um, a network of companies that have clients that want to look at doing so, I mean, look no further than Troy Clymer. Right. I mean, he's he's right now our operations and in, in integrations guy, but um, he's very much our business development guy as well. Um, and he's just a great leader. Right. And 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 again, I can't speak, high, you know, highly enough of the all star cast that's being that's been put together and that continues to be put together. And you know what? Like attracts like, you know, Eagles want to fly with the Eagles, that type of thing. Um there's top talent from all over the industry now that's knocking on our door and that's, and that's interested in joining or when we approach them and they see, you know, the team that we've assembled, um, who doesn't want to be part of an all-star team? You know, it's, it's really, it's gotten to be about, about the size of it. I can't think of any other company that has the staff that we do. Now I'm curious, this is, might be more technical. Maybe somebody else in your division or company has these answers. But have you ever done a zero money down deal for a government contract, meaning you get the contract and your subcontractor funds it all and you don't have to be out any money and then you get to handle all the paperwork and you get to pay them when the money comes to you all? Yeah, I mean, I haven't personally been involved in that, but I've heard of, of those self-performing EPC contracts. Um, they're a lot easier to get bridge capital for because nobody's, nobody's doing anything for free, really, right? Um, it's a lot easier to get bridge capital. I'm going to put my financing hat on when you have a guaranteed takeout from a government entity, right? So if you go to your local bank that, you know, that you work with as a contractor and you say, Hey, look, I need you to extend me a certain amount of money to get this project done. Here's my contract and here's who's going to pay for it at the end. And here's their creditworthiness. You know, if, if that end looks like something that is bond quality, which is what a government contract looks like to the bank, 
then they're going to be happy to make that bet. And so would it, so would any kind of private lender. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's kind of thinking from their perspective with the end in mind first, right? And then sort of backing into how do you get there? Um, now, that's explaining how the subcontractor who's self-performing would be able to do that if they weren't just pulling it out of their own balance sheet. Um, as the general, yeah, you could certainly look for those types of companies. Um, in this environment, I think they're, they're going to be few and far between unless they do get some, some sort of good leverage, uh, which we talked about earlier is, is, is an important part of the game. I had my, as mentioned, that first contract, government contract, um, I made a deal with the subcontractor who was an expert APC in New Mexico. And I said, Hey, um, I'll give you this contract, but I, and I'm going to pay you the moment I get paid, but I need you to pay for the materials and labor and take all my photos that I need. And they said, sure. And I, I was generous with what I was going to pay them and they paid for everything. I was yeah, out and your dollars. Ironically enough, usually on. the, ironically enough, usually the bigger the contract, um, the easier it is to find those kind of self-performing EPCs, um, you know, because they, they play in that sandbox. And in order to play in that sandbox, they have to have a certain amount of financial wherewithal themselves to even be able to get bonded and get qualified to be an EPC for big projects like that. They usually have some cash. And again, if you can show them a guaranteed takeout, then it's not a bad bet to make. So talking about bonding, uh, you know, people always want to know how they can increase their bonding in the government construction sector. Uh, what are your takeaways, tips, uh, strategies for that? You know what? I think getting the bonding done, you know, with a bonding company, um, what I've learned is that it's not exactly a science as, as much as it is an art form to get approved for bonds. Um, when you talk, if you, if you get a chance to talk to a bond issuer, um, and you want to ideally find one, you know, that you can talk to people at, um, they base a lot of their decisions when you get down to it on their own comfort level and their own feelings about who they're dealing with. And to them, presentation is very important. So, you know, when you are asked to deliver a statement of qualifications and you're asked to deliver certain information, sometimes the the way that you submit that information, the professionalism that you show, the, the, the attention to detail that you put into that application to the bond issuer um, weighs into their decision-making process. Of course, there's, there is some science to it. You know, there, there are some metrics that they need to be able to, uh, to get comfortable with around the financial wherewithal of the company. But I was, I was surprised to learn that they do a lot of uh, common sense and gut check underwriting a little more than, than I would have expected. Yeah. The metrics basically are common all such as they want, they, they want to see your past performance. They want to see what kind of assets or funds you have in your bank account. And there's one other, I'm drawing a blank here. Um, well, they want to see, the they want to see, pre, uh, previous results. Right. Um, but, but. You know, those are sort of across the board. Um, and then it's, and then it's, you know, how, how well can you get them to be comfortable with you? How, how, how good of a job can you do at convincing them that you're somebody that they should be comfortable making a bet on? Yeah, exactly. So with these types of, for your company, Associated Energy Develop, Development Developer, um, do y'all do 
in terms of government contracts, do y'all do the percentage complete method in terms of billing the government and how you're paying out your APCs or your subcontractors? Um, so historically, um, we've worked on, you know, a pretty typical construction draw schedule when it's a construction project, right? Um, but we don't necessarily get to um, dictate those terms. We oftentimes have to work with our financiers to adhere to the terms that that we're working with and, and for our subs to adhere to the terms that we're working with. Um, on the service side, which is where AED and its and its subsidiary Aeronautica have had success, um, is with getting into long-term, you know, predictable service contracts, and they're usually good at paying. Um, with Cirque, I think that our plan is to begin um, applying for quite a bit more in the way of government work and government contracts. And again, I think that the success that's, that, that Plemco has been able to have um, is going to play a large role in us getting uh, future contracts in that realm. Final note on this, what would you say to a contractor who's on the fence, who's never bid government contracts, they think there's too much paperwork, they're, they just don't know what they don't know. What would you say to that contractor uh, and the benefits of getting government contracts and learning this skill set? Well, I would say get yourself a coach, um, work with people that have done it before. Um, I, I think that, you know, it is daunting if you try to do it as a side, as a side thing. Um, you know, you don't necessarily want to step into a realm that you're not familiar with and try to be, try to be an expert. Um, if you're feeling hesitant and, and, or if you're putting it off, it's probably because deep down, you know, you're not that good at it, you know, and, and that's okay. It's, it's super important to know what you're not good at so that you can just go out and find people to partner with that are great at those things. Because any, any time that you spend trying to turn, if you're, if you're rank, rank, ranking yourself from one to 10 on all the skill sets that you need to have to be a world-class company, um, anything that's under a seven, find somebody who's better at it than you to, to partner with, to do it. Because frankly, if you're spending time on, on getting better at your fives and your sixes or your fours, and you do the work and you put in the time and you grind, you might get it up to a six or seven, maybe an eight, but you hated the process. You don't like doing what you're not good at, right? And frankly, a six or seven still isn't good enough, right? So go find somebody who is passionate about it, who has created a system to make it easier for you to, to plug into, right? And get their advice. Um, put in your your part where it's asked for, um, but then look for people that can help you fill in all the blanks around you. Because look, we don't, we don't, you know, I don't go out and turn wrenches, right? I find guys that are good at that. Um, they don't come in and try to do the structured financing, right? I, I, I kind of keep that on my desk. And so it's, it's just as important it is to be a master in, at what it is that you do. It's also important to find masters where you're not. Beautifully said. And so my last question on this topic regarding government construction contracts is with AED, what are some things that y'all do to protect your company when you get the contract? Uh, having a superintendent, superintendent on site, taking photos, uh, having meetings with the subcontractors. What are things that y'all do to protect your company from expensive mistakes? Um, well, I can, I can speak for AED only um, 
in the sense that I've seen what Brian has done. Um, and I can speak about what I've been seeing Plemco do um, since I joined CERC. Um, in both cases, they assign a project manager to really be the champion of that of that particular project and to own it, you know, throughout the entire process. Um, somebody that can clear the deck, as it were, um, of anything else, so that they can really focus on making sure that that gets done at a high level, um, and really being, you know, being hands-on and being boots on the ground, not trying to manage from afar, you know, think of it, I guess what I, what I've seen them do is, is sort of treat it like it was their, their first house that they were, they were having built, you know, or, or the first one that they themselves were, were building, you know, really, um, staying engaged throughout the process. Um, and, and really what that does is it shows the counterparty, a level of commitment that they feel they can trust. And, and as time goes on, you know, you want to find people that can specialize in that arena and, you know, sort of methodically monotask um, through each of the opportunities while other operators in the business um, continue to do the juggling that we all have to be really good at in order to be successful in our arena. And so it, it's really um, the best advice I can give is to just find somebody who can put everything else down and just focus on that. And then get the rest of the team to understand that that's what that person's doing or that's what those people are doing so that they can rally around and pick up the slack where they might be, you know, otherwise missing, right? So that there's still all the tasks being done. There's not animosity being built up because, hey, John usually juggles all these balls. Well, hey, for right now, until this is done, he's just going to focus on that one thing and do it really, really well. And that's going to be sort of an evergreen effort for us going forward. Now, this has been very detailed, Joe. You're the owner, one of the one of the owners or owners of AED. You're the senior vice president worldwide of CERC. And listen, contractors, real estate investors, if you have a big roof or if you want to learn how to uh, be a part of helping make the earth go green and make a good income out of it, then reach out to me because I have a partnership with CERC where we can facilitate it and make it all come true. If you were to end, end on a on a informative note, what would you say to somebody on the fence who wants to learn how to get into solar who just is busy doing roofing or construction? What would you say to that contract? I would say, um, really, if I could if I could pick it up and learn it, you know, from a technical perspective, anybody can. Um, don't be daunted by the stuff that you don't know. Um, you know, jump right in and try to try to stay focused on, you know, the common sense. Um, don't get don't get too caught up in conversing about, you know, things that you don't understand. You know, there's there's renewable energy credits. There's there's tax equity investors. There's federal investment tax credits. There's kilowatt hours. There's kilowatts for power. All of those things will be demystified as you go through the process. What you want to do is really take a step back and ask yourself if on a sunny day in one hour, the earth's being irradiated with enough energy to power the entire planet for a year, if that's true, and now there's ways to store that energy and use it or store that energy and, and move it around 
um, how long is it going to be really until this is literally everywhere, right? And hopefully you start to look at commercial buildings and any, and any property that doesn't have a solar system on it or doesn't have an energy system there on site, um, you start to look at those as opportunities because you start to look at those as, you know, almost like a ring setting without a diamond, right? It's a lost opportunity. It's, it's sitting there. It's ready for it. You know, um, why not generate additional revenue on an, on an existing income property? And by the way, when I say you can build an income property on another income property, check this out. The energy system is treated as a whole separate piece of real estate. You can actually sell the real estate underneath and keep the energy system. It's got a whole separate lien on it, and it's not cross-collateralized with the building that it's on or anything like that. It's really considered a separate piece of property that has a leasehold estate on the space that it's using. So powerful. So contractors, investors, that's why I'm here for y'all. We created Real Construction Owner Solar Network, where if you have, if you're a roofing contractor or a contractor, and you can just schedule a homeowner or a business owner uh, to take a look at a free energy analysis, we can close it for you and you can make a nice override and CERC will be involved. They'll be the one who does all the installation, all the engineering. You, we have a team behind you to schedule these appointments. And if it's just a residential roof, we also do that as well. And investors, if you're listening and you're like, hey, I want to know more, reach out to me. Uh, all I need is your energy usage report for the whole year. I'll provide that to my partners, Joe and his engineering team. And we'll present to you in a non-obligate, non-obligatory uh, presentation the benefits and that makes sense financially for you. Joe, this has been a blast. Very Justin, Thank one you. more thing. Um, if, if somebody doesn't own the property, right? And they just want to take advantage of tax incentives, give us a call too, because we have quite a few uh, property owners that can't use the tax incentives. And so we work with third-party investors to come in and own and operate that system with us through a special purpose entity that we create. And so we'd like to talk to them as well. So if, if you're an investor and you're sick of paying taxes and you'd rather turn that tax money into a, an accretive investment, we can talk about that too. And fire, fire. Thank you so much for being on the Real Construction Owners Podcast today, Joe. Thanks for having me. Drop a comment below and let me know how this episode was. And remember to hit that subscribe button if this helped you in any way. And if you're interested in growing your construction business faster and you want to learn how to double your construction company using government construction contracts, I'll have a link down below specifically for you. I hope you can join me. Until next time, see you tomorrow.